guess first and foremost tell us tell the listeners who you are and, and what you do Sweet. Okay. Well, stoked to be here, Kyle. Thanks very much for inviting me. My name is Dan Wong, and I'm the owner of Jack Pine Paddle. So we're an outdoor adventure company that does paddling. We're up in Yellowknife, and we run um, multi-day canoe and kayak expeditions all across the Northwest Territories. We do youth camps, uh, rentals, and um, day tours. But really, the core of what we do is um, remote expeditions, kind of trips of a lifetime, anywhere from 7 to 13 days. Yeah, and when you say remote, like you're in some of the most remote parts of of the country, which would be some of the more remote parts of the world. Is that right? Basically, yeah. So pretty much as remote as you can get, even by northern standards. So um, there's a lot of great places to paddle up here, and you know maybe folks have heard of the Nahani or the Keel River, some of those rivers. Well, the places we go can sometimes be even twice as far. We are operating primarily in the barren lands so across the tree line up on the tundra on you know the thelon the horton the tributaries of the thelon out in the central barren lands the copper mine those sort of very very far reaching places that are yeah i guess some of the largest wilderness areas left on earth really outside of antarctica and siberia yeah we did a trip up on um, the barrens this summer and when we were out there, a lot of the thought was, holy smokes, we are far from from anywhere, <laughs> you know, yeah. like far from Yellowknife. But then you're like, imagine if you had paddled here from uh, like Montreal or something. You were some fur trader, you know, at one point, like you are so far from home. Um, so it's cool. It's cool that that's, you know, that's your business. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely a dream job. And, you know, it wasn't like always that, you know, we, I didn't like plan it that way necessarily because I'm like a whitewater canoeist who really loves the thrill of the, the whitewater. So yeah. it's piling a lot in the mountains. But, you know, as things happen, which, you know, I'm happy to talk about more about Alex Hall and his legacy. Yeah. But that's sort of, you know, what kicked us towards that area. Yeah, maybe maybe let's start there. Like, how did you get into the business you're in and uh alex all was someone i wanted to talk about maybe you can touch on who he was and how he kind of has led you to where you are today sweet have i actually mentioned the name of my company yet <laughs> no uh jackpine but yeah mention it <laughs> i'm like should do that for marketing right <laughs> yes should mention my company name as many times as i can on this podcast so because that's like that's repetition right you're supposed to like (laughs) just like blast that name into the minds of your viewers so my company is called jack pine paddle and uh yeah and we um okay so in 2019 we took over operations from alex hall's canoe arctic incorporated okay um so had you heard about Alex Hall before? Loosely. I just heard that he's like this legendary figure in northern paddling. Yeah. I didn't know, like, I didn't know much about Alex either until I met him about a year, within a year before he passed away. Um, and because uh, he, you know, he he lives in the Northwest Territories, just like me. Like, I, I grew up here. I live up here in Yellowknife. And Alex is in Fort Smith. Yeah. Um, that was always like, you know, it's pretty far from Yellowknife. Um, and he always did his own thing. Um, he didn't really have staff. It was a one-man show, so he just ran as many guided trips as he could himself in the summer. So, like, you know, six, and then later on in his life, five. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Alex Hall started Canoe Arctic Incorporated in 19... 
73. So he was one of the first, um, well, when did Warburton Pike do his stuff? Cause I know you've, yeah, no, he was early. He was like late 1800s. Yeah. So that was like the first recreational. Yes. Okay. And then, but when Alex started like in the early seventies, there still wasn't a lot up here with that industry. No. You know, like there was, yes, like a guiding industry that had been started many decades earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the North for paddling, like it was pretty new. He was, if not the first, one of the first for sure canoe, um, canoe, canoe guides, Arctic canoe guides. And yeah. so we did it for 43 years. He ran a viable business for 43 years, took out over 2000 paying guests. It was a super slow start. You know, like he, he, he would haul all of his stuff every summer up from Brampton, Ontario in his truck and trailer and just kind of pack out of his trailer, you know, hope it doesn't rain trying to, you know, like basically turn things around between expeditions out of like a vehicle. <laughs> like, Amazing. Um, and, and then, yeah, he built sort of a, a bit of a legendary status in this niche area of, of remote wilderness tripping out in the barren lands. He, really fell in love with the barons. Yeah. Like that's why he did it. So anyone that's read his book, a copy of it over there, it's discovering Eden. Yeah. A lifetime of paddling Arctic rivers. Uh, you know, anyone that reads the book or knew Alex, you know, they can understand pretty quickly that he just, it was like the love of his life. Like that's how he describes it and writes about the barons and the barren lands. And so he, um, yeah, I was just really enthralled with this place that you saw some of, um, and he just wanted to find a way to spend the rest of his life doing that. Right. And then you have kind of since taken over his operation. Is that effectively what you've done? Yeah, that was like a big, um, it was a big thing for us. So he, you know, it's, um, Alex got cancer and it was a pretty late term terminal diagnosis and the doctor said he had a year to live. And so... Um, that's when I connected with Alex during that time, he was basically shutting down his business and I asked him, yeah, you know, can I carry this forward? Um, I would love like, you know, I would love to do that. What do you think? And he said, yes. Cool. And we spent time together during that year. Um, you know, he showed me all of his maps and, uh, you know, as much as he could, on a map because so much was like in his head right yeah because he knew like he paddled that area on like it's really hard to imagine what i don't in so like in canadian paddling history there's been a lot of amazing guides and paddlers and explorers but like alex was singularly focused on this area you know right. so he paddled the thelon like I don't know, like 89 times or something. He paddled the Clark like 67 times. The, <laughs> Amazing. The Elk like 58 times by the end of his career. So um, so he really had that area locked down because why would you go with anyone other than Alex? He would have known all the spots. All the spots. All the wolf dens. Like he loved wolves. So he had all the wolf dens. All the, every, you know, every little nuance. Yeah. Obviously he didn't need maps with him. Um, so yeah, we... There was a transition there where he wanted to set me up the best that he could. Yeah. And then in and then then he passed away in the spring in twenty nineteen and and we ran that summer with his guest, our guest now. And cool. Yeah. It's been like uh, that since. I've never been on a guided trip. 
but I can see the value just in having someone know where the spots are because like I've been on so many trips where you're slogging away all day and then settle for like a less than desirable campsite and then you like wake up the next morning and paddle like 400 yards around the bend and there's like a beautiful campsite and you're like fuck <laughs> if, only, if only we had known you know it's like always like that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but like if you went with a guide you know obviously you know and like when alex was doing it he knew like where to camp and you know where the good spots were so um i can see value in a guide like if nothing else just for that you know, on all these rivers, someone who can show you where the, you know, where all the sweet places are. Or, you know, you can paddle by things and then go back and look at your route on Google Earth or, like, start reading about a part of the river you were on and then realize, oh, had we just gone up that tributary for, like, half a kilometer, there would have been this cool waterfall or something, but instead you just blow by it. So, you know, I can see, I can see how what the service that you offer is even for an experienced paddler could be really sweet hey quick question for you are you someone who wants to be fit healthy and happy and what if i told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast i'm josh and i'm kg and we are the host of the fit healthy and happy podcast listen we get it fitness isn't easy carbs no carbs just stop okay it doesn't have to be that complicated and that's why we made this podcast we get straight to the facts so you can become your best you so the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search fit healthy and happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms we'll see you soon Yeah, especially like in the Barrens where there are some really spectacular campsites, um, which yeah. I hope you, you had a chance to experience some of those. Oh, some of the Eskers, <laughs> like just big, beautiful sand beaches. And we camped, we, we had some awful campsites, but we also had some like 10 out of 10 yeah. campsites. We were out there for 31 days. So it's just, you know, you spend enough time out there and you're going to get everything. You'll get terrible campsites and you'll get great campsites. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so the, I guess the Barrens is your focus as opposed, like there's a lot of people running the mountain, the rivers over in the Rocky Mountains and like the Nahani has been famous for a long time, but yeah. is most of your focus the Barrens as opposed to the Rocky Mountains? Yeah. So we, you know, we run a, a trip on the Keel River and the Natla River, right? which are awesome. Um, but most of our trips are out past the tree line. So yeah, I think more than any other outfitter in the North, and there's not really that many, but we, that is by far the bulk of our, our um, where our guests want to go and where we run most of our trips. We specialize in like the ultra remote tundra expeditions yeah. uh, more than anyone. So can, um, can I ask you some questions just about like your kit? Like we, when we were out on the tundra this summer, it was kind of, I mean, it, I, I, grew, I grew up in, in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. Like my whole existence is in forested landscapes Mm -hmm. like my whole my whole childhood and all of my camping experience up until this tundra trip with the exception of like a little bit of hiking in the alpine has been in an environment where you have the benefit of fuel uh for Mm -hmm. one and then shelter like getting in behind a thicket of you know thick trees or just brush to like protect yourself from wind but being in the tundra is like a total game changer like there's you feel so exposed and like it's fine when the weather's good, but we had like a couple squalls roll through, and like one night in particular where it was just nasty. It was heavy winds and heavy rain, and my brother and I were like in the tent, and we're like everything's fine, you know, the, the pegs are holding, 
the poles haven't broken but we were, we were like talking to ourselves we we're like this could go bad you could see how this could go bad very quickly like suddenly if you the pole you break a pole in the tent and the water's you know you can't stay dry there's like nowhere to hide so like as someone who does this for a living like what's what's in your kit what's your advice well i think some of it is your kit but uh, um you know a lot of it is your practices too right how you use your kit so i've always been really like really particular about how i set up my tent like i will spend half an hour carrying the biggest rocks so i can anchor right possible you know like i cannot go to sleep unless my tent is anchored down solid yeah. you know bomb proof right and out in the tundra i was like yes like my time has come like this is <laughs> what i've been training for because you can get super windy systems that blow through yeah, and it's basically nowhere. yeah like you're in a hurricane and you may not have cover unless you've been smart about how you've chosen your campsite yeah so yeah, we got burned a couple times because we like Alex marked a variety of sites along his routes. Um, some he like has he has a system of grading, um, and you know a lot of his like A plus sites also happen to be tucked behind uh, protected in the lee of like a burn of a big esker that would protect from a north wind. Right. Um, and so we did learn some lessons where like we would, you know, it'd be a nice evening. We'd have camp exposed to the North and then all hell would break loose. And like basically anything that's not anchored down is gone. So yes, like we definitely bring tents that are suitable, right? Like that are dome style, a dome style, uh, pole system. So we, we use like Trangos from Mountain Hardware. Mm -hmm. Um, and we also use Hillebergs and, you know, from an outfitter point of view, like, or from a personal tripping point of view, like, you know, a tarp is not a great idea because there's nothing to tie it up to. Yeah. It's like difficult to anchor. You may not be able to find a tarp pole. Um, and tarps are basically sale. So we use these Haleberg domes, um, and they're amazing. Um, and that's like also our bug shelter as well. Yeah. Um, When I was over at your yard this summer, we saw one drying. Sure. Like, these are the these are the domes that like you can cook in and you could you could have like a whole crew you could probably seat ten or fifteen people inside exactly yeah they look they look awesome mm-hmm. and like they're freestanding and anything Hilleberg makes is super high quality and as light as it can be and, and also like as easy to set up as possible yeah uh, so yeah we just bring appropriate gear but it's it's those things like actually anchoring your tent properly you know or making sure you tie up the boats every night to something or it's those, those habits that you need to get into, even if it doesn't like make sense at the time, because you've had experiences before where you haven't done that. And then you've been burned and hopefully you've like smart and you learn from that. But when you're so far away from any resupply, it's not like there's a Walmart around the corner. You need to be smart about what you do, especially when you're responsible for other people's experience. Yeah. Um, so yeah uh, and like it's the small things too like extra pair of sunglasses you know like people will often lose or break sunglasses on a trip like with a group of 12 definitely guaranteed there's gonna be (laughs) one or two pair of sunglasses that get destroyed or lost at some point so you know if it's really windy and you don't have anything to protect your eyes that can be really irritating yeah uh especially if it's like early on or a trip like yours so 
I, I, there's certain things like that that I'll bring extras of. Yeah. Um, and then bug jackets. We always use the original bug shirt. Man, the best. They're just, there's nothing to compares to the original bug shirt. And things like that really matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. Um, I guess, fill me in a bit on, on, you know, what a trip looks like for, you know, someone who's interested in one. What, what they come to Yellowknife. I guess you get flown out to the headwaters and, you know, just kind of run me through what, what, what a typical a typical trip down the Thelon or, you know, the Snake or whatever whatever river systems you're in uh, would look like? I guess it starts months in advance. So people will sign up and, you know, we'll help get them ready make sure they have all the right gear and help them book travel to the north. And then, yeah, they'll show up here. And depends, like, where, what trip we're on, where we're departing from. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Horton River is really far north, right? It drains yeah. into the Arctic Ocean, so... We'd launch that trip from Norman Wells or Anuvik for the lower section. Um, so, yeah, you, you know, they'll get to an, a community and then we'll all get together and meet up and kind of make sure everyone has, you know, is ready to go. And then off we'll go. And our trips are serviced. Like, we get there by float planes. Yeah. Um, and, and oftentimes we're flying quite long distances. It's all logistics like fuel caching yeah. and stuff that we have to hit. Which again, for most northern guided trips, we're not, you're not having to do that. Mm-hmm. But ours are so far for the mileage. Um, so yeah, we kind of just and then the plane leaves, and then there we are. You know, a group of small group of people in the middle of the wilderness for you know usually twelve to thirteen days. And yeah, I guess the daily routine is like, you know, it's pretty awesome having guides because. Um, we cook like amazing delicious food uh everything from scratch different meal every day but yeah we'll um yeah we'll have dinner we'll get on the water uh 10 or 11 then we'll paddle till about four hour for lunch and you know every day you know we'll like our our routes are chosen to showcase the best highlights of these routes and a lot of that in the barrens was like alex passing down his lifetime of experience yeah paddling quite extensively out there um drilling everything down to like okay this is what we should you know show off yes and and yeah i mean you know so yeah the guides really you know it's nice for the guests they um they're very helpful for sure for camp like we encourage people to help out it's not like the folks that are on our trips are not like hmm like bring me my food or like like yes bellmen like you know, like hot towel in the morning. That's not that kind of crowd, you right. know? Right. Like people are, we are one team. Yes. Um, the guides kind of steer the show, but everybody helps out with all the tasks as they, as they can and as they wish. And, um, and yeah, it's neat. You know, I think the, like, the getting to know people and the relationship building is always a, you know, like you don't always think about that part going in because you think about where you're going and all the stuff you have to do to get ready and everything and all the logistics and prep. But really such a big part of the trip is like, yes, it's the wilderness places that you're experiencing, but it's also the relationships that you're building in those places when you're exploring something cool for the first time or enjoying a beautiful meal in a, 
you know, an amazing setting. For sure. Like I could work with you for a year and we could be like moderately good buds or I could go camping with you for a weekend and we would be way, we would be way better buds, you know, like I, I fully agree. Something about being out in the wilderness and like physical challenge and just the challenge of, you know, being on a trip, being in terrible weather together. It's like, yeah, creates, creates like kinship. Like you just can't, you can't do that in any other way, you know? So yeah, I, I, I get that one for sure. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. You know, like I've, I, I try to go on a trip every summer and mm-hmm. you're, you're always like best friends with the people you go on a trip with. This trip I went on this summer, you know, I went with my brother, which was obviously like a great friend. And then Noah, but we went, this other guy, Alex, I hadn't met Alex until I picked him up at the airport. And, you know, now Alex and I are great buds because we spent a whole month out in the Barrens together. So I think it's true. Like you, you don't think about those things before you go on a trip, but it's like such a nice part of any trip. So that's cool. Um, so much of your, what you do must be logistics, eh? Like just managing planes and you're like, you're just working in such a remote environment and you have multiple, you have multiple trips on the go. I think at any mm-hmm. given time, it, 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 like a lot of your job must just be managing, getting people and food and boats around this m- enormous territory. Um, like the, the, there must be a huge amount of organization I would think in what you do. Yeah, you have to be highly organized, you know, um, and like that. Um, but people are like, hey, what do you do during the winter? <laughs> you know, like, do you just hang out with your cat and watch Netflix? Um, it's like, yes, I definitely do some of that in the winter. Uh, but, you know, the winter's when you have to work. You have to, like, organize, like you said, organize the charters, market licensing like the licensing system up here in the north well not for the fan of heart i'll tell you that um food like food is huge yeah food is like pretty much half of the work we do on a trip is food when sure when you think about okay you gotta like procure the food plan the menu like that's you know all that's such a big deal um then pack it and are you in the business of dehydrating food too? Or you, do, you don't have to do that? So if we, like I love dehydrating um, and it's awesome for personal trips, yeah. but it's time consuming. So t- like for this 31 day trip we were on in the summer, <laughs> I had the dehydrator running full tilt for like at least six weeks before the trip. And I was cooking uh, every fourth day. Yes. So like, and that was just for four people. Like I... It would, be, it would be like almost impossible to feed like 12 or 13 people with dehydrated food. So you're not doing that. No, because that would cost so much for staff time. Yeah. Like if you, if you put a dollar price on the hours that <laughs> you, true. like how much is an hour of your time like to get paid at work, you know, and then you times like, but, and dehydrated meals, they're not as high quality as freeze dry. Yes. So what we do is we buy freeze-dried ingredients. Okay. So we'll buy like a tin of like green beans. We'll buy a tin of like diced tomato or whatever. There's lots of food prepping options right. available. And then we pack all the dry ingredients separately and then we make the meals once in the field. Gotcha. You know, often we'll be using fresh food too for the, you know, uh, there's a lot of fresh 
um, meats, vegetables, cheeses, artisan cheeses and stuff. It's um, kind of amazing what we've been able to like figure out what works really well out there. Yeah. Like, everyone has their special meals that they've, you know, they've done, but we, yeah, so that's how we do it. And that's what we find is like the most economical, the highest quality um, way to do it. We don't use the prepackaged no, camping too, meals. Too expensive, I would think. They're expensive and they're not that good. No. Um, so we make everything from scratch. And so we'll just find a way to bring the ingredients out there and, um, and do it that way. But yeah, I mean, even on a trip, like, you know, the food prep is again, half of the half of the work in the field it's at least with the menu that we're delivering you know which is you know pretty gourmet healthy um you know really delicious uh, meals out there like desserts we do a lot of baking in the dutch oven yeah Um, when i when we went by your like boatyard there in the summer to pick up i should say we i used a jack pine boat this for a trip i did this summer and one of your staff was there i forget her name um, but she had the Dutch oven. She was like cleaning the Dutch oven and explaining like she's making fresh made sticky buns and biscuits. And we were just like, oh man, if only, if only we were eating as well as you were. <laughs> we like, we were not eating great, you know, just like dried rice and fish, <laughs> maybe some Tabasco sauce or something. But, you know, we were, we were a different thing. Like, yeah, we carried 31 days of food, a lot yeah. of portages, um, so it's, you know, it's hard to carry that much food without a resupply. It's a yeah. quite a bit easier when you're on a 12 day trip, I would think. Definitely. Um, but yeah, we were impressed. She was telling us about all the meals she was making. We were impressed. Was so, her name Wendy? I can't remember. Yeah. When, she was there with somebody else. Was, they had just finished. I think they, the Clark Thelon. Yeah. I think they just finished the Clark Thelon and they had run into ice. Yeah. Because it was an early trip for them, uh, which was a bit of an ominous like foreshadow for our trip. Because this was when we were picking up the boats before we went, and then we started on the east arm, which was fine. Uh, portaged over Pike's Portage. Smarter people would have just put in at artillery, mm-hmm. but we thought it was important to do Pike's, which it was. Like I'm happy I did Pike's Portage, uh, but we did it heavy because it was like in the first few days of the trip. Uh, and we got into artillery, like the south end of artillery was fine. And then about a third of the way up, it was, you could still, you could walk on the ice, like, uh, but not safely. Like you couldn't like just get load all the gear and like just drag the boats. Like that wasn't an option, but you also couldn't paddle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just were like wind, not windbound, icebound on artillery lake for days, which then put us behind schedule. And it was just like a battle to make up time. Did they also tell you the water was low on their trip? Yeah, and the water was super low on our trip. Um, yeah. We had to paddle the back, like the upper headwaters of the back, which I think are kind of rocky to begin with. But we like portaged in, and this was one of those nights where there was just like terrible weather, and really bad campsite. Like we portaged in thinking we would be able to paddle, and we only mm-hmm. had to do like 60K on the back. Um. And it was a rock garden. Like, I could show you a picture on the phone. It was like, there was more rock than there was water in the river. Like, you couldn't, there was no paddling. To cool, be done. cool, 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 cool. You're like, great. <laughs> so, and then we were like, we could, we were just kind of stuck and we had terrible weather and we had like, no, there was no good camping. So we just, we were like forced to camp in like the worst place to camp. 
And that's where my brother and I were like in the tent all night. We're like, oh God, this could get bad. <laughs> yeah, like uh, this is not good. And we thought we'd fly down the back in like a day, maybe two. Yeah. And I think we were on the back for at least four, probably five. Like portaging, carrying as much as we were paddling. Mm-hmm. So it was, man. Brutal. It was, it was, yeah, like I went with Noah and Alex, like the Northern Scavenger crew. Mm-hmm. And man, I got I to gotta hand to those guys. Like their whole, they grew up like doing all their trips in Labrador, which is gnarly. Like Labrador paddling is gnarly because it's like thick brush. All the portages are sh- like, like real heinous. And it's like, it's, you know, like there's actually like quite a bit of paddling that happens up here. Like the rivers are like, like, you know, like a lot of the rivers are well, well documented and like people have been paddling mm-hmm. for a long time. Like in Labrador, it's like kind of like, the end of the, the end of the earth <laughs> yeah so like Noah and alex have like done like half a decade's worth of paddling in labrador so they're just like hardened dudes and like they came up here and like originally i had pitched to Noah, i was like let's paddle um start in the east arm and paddle to baker lake via the hanbury and the thelon yeah yeah and like it's a well-established route a route you do He's like, no, that's too, yeah, that's he, too basic. Yeah, he's like, that's too easy, man. I don't want to do that. Like, let's do something no one's done. So we picked a route that, um, like, there wasn't much beta on it. And what it was was uh, up the Lockhart, mm-hmm. like, artillery lake, all the way to Almer Lake. Like, up the Lockhart? Or no, you, you did the portage. We right? did the portage, and then, like, up to the north end of artillery. Mm-hmm. And then the Lockhart then flows oh, into... Uh, forget the. There's like a chain of lakes all the way up to. Um, uh, what's where's the fishing lodge up there? Almer Lake. Almer. So that we went up. We're going upstream. Where you guys call? Maybe you called me from. Or I think your group. Called yeah, me. I think uh, that's that's when we realized we were we were, like, we were screwed. We weren't gonna make it because we were just like. You were like, what do you know about the burn side? I was <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, not that much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the plan. Because the, the original plan was to then go from there up, down the back, which we did, up the Contoido, which we did, mm-hmm. and then down the Mara, but we just ran out of time. So then Burnside was, was plan B. But anyway, it was like all this paddling through like areas that don't see a lot of paddling, and mm-hmm. more than half the trip was up river, so a lot of line work. So it was a grunt. It was fun. Like It was a, it was a fun trip, but uh, yeah, like a serious grunt. <laughs> Uh, but cool like I'm grateful to spend uh, a month in the Barrens and it was all filmed uh, because Northern Scavenger filmed it it's gonna make for a great YouTube series it's gonna be a great YouTube series and it's cool like it'll be cool to have a trip like you know 25 years from now like like, I'll have all the content and be able to show my kid so that's cool like I've never I'm like not one to film my trips Mm -hmm. I don't have the patience for it um so it's cool that this one was filmed. And it was amazing to see these guys filming a trip because mm-hmm. so much, yeah. like they, they take pride in their content and like you watch good YouTube content all the time and it like, just it's, it's good YouTube content. You don't think about the work that goes into making good YouTube content. It was so impressive. Like we would, we were paddling long days, man, like up at six on the water by seven, often paddling till seven. And then like, you know, we immediately get to where we're going to camp like before they've even like taken anything out of the boat they're setting the camera up on the tripod to like film the whole thing and then like they're filming while like they're also cooking dinner and setting up camp Mm -hmm. and then 
you know, we eat and we're like, my brother and I are exhausted and we just like go lay down and they like hike up to the Esker to like get the sunset shot of the, it's just like everything we were doing plus like 20% more work, you know? So it was cool. It was cool. I'm, it's coming out in May or um, February and nice or March. So I'm stoked to, stoked to see it and there'll be a Jack Pine boat prominently featured. So awesome. <laughs> um, I was, I was, uh, just walking the other like earlier before the snow but uh i saw the boat that has like the rcgs sticker on it so oh we, did put, you? we put it was yeah. a trip was sponsored yeah. by the rcgs and i saw the boat there and i took a picture and sent it to the guys they were stoked <laughs> um yeah so anyway let me uh let me ask you this because you have more experience than than i do paddling up here dan what do you have a favorite river Yes, I do have a favorite river. Um, well, I have a lot of favorite rivers, you know? I mean, every river we run a guided trip on is for a reason. Yeah. You know, the river that's close to my heart is, it's the Natla River, and it's a whitewater river in the Mackenzie And it runs Mountains. into the Keel. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, it doesn't get the traffic the Keel does. The right. Keel is... You know, probably up there with the Coppermine as one of the top three most popular rivers in the north. And Ahani, of course, being far above any other river. Yes. Ahani gets a ton of volume every year. Um, the Natla is like, actually starts very close to where the um, the Hanny starts up there. Yeah. Uh, O'Grady Lake is, it's, um, you know, where you put in, it's just a, a hike away from the Moose Ponds. But yeah, it's just a whitewater thrill ride. But it's for advanced and advanced Inter- intermediate but leaning towards advanced whitewater paddlers right. you know it's a very technical river but it's just full of rock gardens you know very technical both paddlers very engaged you can't scout because it's continuous right. world class just boulder dodging the boulders are nice and round so when you inevitably bash into many of them <laughs> you can like glance off of them you know they're not like sharp and sticky cutty um, but it's just a beautiful mountain like adventure and it's it's just the thrill of your life and then you go down and um and then you can go out the keel too and all down the mackenzie back to norton wells the other river though that's really like ooh, i was like is this my new favorite river now after last summer um is the horton yeah i've always wanted to paddle the horton yeah me too and we run guided trips in the horton now and the upper and the lower it's a 600 kilometer river yeah, so it starts just north of Great Bear Lake, and it empties in the Arctic. So it's like the Thelon flows east towards Hudson's Bay, but the um, the Horton is like the Copper Mine and um, the Anderson. They flow north into the Arctic Ocean. So yeah, we run a, a trip on the upper and on the lower Horton. So we split it a like three hundred kilometers yeah. per trip, um, and it's a very remote Tundra River. It's sort of still kind of off the like radar. Like yeah, not doesn't get a lot of, really doesn't get a lot of traffic. A lot of people know about the copper mine. Yes, they don't necessarily know about the Horton. Or and the Horton's tricky because it doesn't end in a town. Like correct. The mine. Yeah, you're right. So the Horton just ends, you know, in the Arctic Ocean. Um, and yeah, there, you know, there's quite a bit of wildlife on this river because the Bathurst East Caribou Herd is, uh, or the Blue Nose East Caribou Herd, is still 
um, it's still around. Like yeah. you wouldn't have seen very much caribou for most of your trip because the Beverly herd's been surprisingly. We saw a lot. Really, where yeah. though? Uh, right. It must have been higher up. Yeah, on Contoida Lake. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not sure exactly what that herd would have been, but the Beverly herd's been really like um, yeah, it's just declined dramatically, like even more so than other herds. But the Horton still has like you'll see caribou on a daily basis almost. Yeah. So you. Um, yeah, it's just an amazing wildlife river. And there's a canyon in the lower Horton that's just otherworldly. It's like, it's a long canyon and it just has like the most unique rock formations you've ever seen. There's cannonballs sitting on shore. There's big spires and pillars that come up, like three-sided arches. There's just like all of this really weird and fascinating features and structures around you and it makes for really like stunning campsites with like plateaus of you know grass and lichens like uh, surrounded by these cathedral rock walls with you know pillars that almost look like they're just like you know you're camping in this remote amphitheater with you know like caribou grazing on the pasture yeah, behind sweet. you and you know amazing fishing with the char char run yeah um it just has it all, and it, it just really blew my mind last year. Yeah. It has some whitewater, too. It's generally, like, a pretty easy river, but... Yeah, it's pretty tame, isn't it? It's pretty tame, but in the canyon, there is, like, a very concentrated section where you get, like, class two to class three. So, you know, that's that's why it helps for us cause with on a guided trip yeah. for our guests because we can help them get through that area if, you know, they don't, like they're not sponsored by red bull and they don't have like six gopros strapped to them and they're not confident whitewater paddlers we can add some value there yeah that, um, i guess that was another question i had is for you know most of the people who listen to the show are um not from here don't you know some are whitewater enthusiasts but i think a lot are just people who are interested in canoeing perhaps not like a ton of whitewater experience like it'd be very intimidating when i moved here and i moved here is like experienced paddler i was intimidated by like these some of these rivers you know and you're like you're so far from anywhere and you don't really know the geography like the barrens are intimidating for you know the reasons we've already discussed it's like what what is there like i would like there is there's some baseline of like fitness and 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 uh, uh ability that is required for your trips but like you don't need to be a pro, do you? Like maybe maybe speak to speak to um, what type of person can come to a jack pine trip. So, a lot of our guests they have they've paddled before, you know, and they're comfortable camping in the backcountry and pretty self sufficient on land, and they have flat water canoe experience. So we're kayaking too. We run guided kayaking trips um, on the East Arm of Great Save Lake, but they, you know they're not you know like necessarily whitewater junkies they tend to be a bit older too um and so just because we're extremely remote doesn't mean the trip is extreme you right. know because we're in the barren land so the barren lands are like they're not flat they're actually quite interesting and hilly with yeah. esker features but the rivers don't have the gradient as the mountain rivers do no you know they don't have the canyons. They don't have the, the steep drops, the flow, and the, all of that stuff. So, yeah, there, are, there is white water. There are rivers, so they're moving. There's rapids on them. But 
it's it's not a they're not they're not difficult trips overall right um and i mean that's 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 part of like i think that's one of the most important things that we do is like working with guests to find a trip that's going to be a good fit for them right. you know um but yeah there's a variety of different skill levels that we offer um and you know often like on a trip like that people will be much better paddlers at the end for sure because like our guides and are also instructors right like certified paddle canada whitewater canoe instructors so we're also pretty stoked to like teach people new stroke skills like get rid of bad habits so you know you're at the end of the trip we like to see that progress right right yeah cool do you have many repeat clients like clients who come for one and then they're just hooked a lot of repeat clients yeah Yeah. sweet that makes me happy man that people get into it yeah i'd say about 30 percent of our client base is repeat 30 to 35 so that's why like it was such a big um it was such a big thing for us like when we took over canoe arctic incorporated because you know the alex has his client base that he's like been building up over four decades yeah so it can be really difficult to get started right to market internationally and compete against all these other companies that have been doing it for 30 40 years to to get that client base going right um but if you do a good job people have a good time then they want more and there's lots more out there you yeah. Know? yeah and are you like scouting new rivers all the time like when you're flying out to places you're like oh maybe we could run it maybe we should check that river out and are, are you expanding the the scope of what's on the jack pine menu so to speak we've expanded a lot i think i need to like stop adding <laughs> trips but yes we are like we're always looking like i have a personal commitment in my life to paddle a new river every year cool yeah and i figure if i can do that if at least i'll have a good life if if anything else and you can and then you know you can do that here there's like just so many rivers to paddle yeah and there's nothing better than exploring a new river um for the first time unless it's amazing and then you gotta go back and see it again it's even more amazing right but yeah we're you know i think the area that i'm really interested in right now and i think has a huge amount of potential is thai national park which is canada's newest national park you would have been right in yes it's for those of your listeners that don't know haven't heard about that it's like a huge area i think it's seven times as large as algonquin yeah and it's you know it's anchored right on the east arm of great slave lake stretching out towards the barren lands and capturing artillery yeah and the rivers that flow into the east arm of great slave the lockhart the the snowdrift and back there so we i'm interested in the snowdrift it looks mm -hmm. neat it looks neat and we run a trip on like the very far reaches of Thide NNA, a canoe trip out in the Eileen Lake Sled Creek area, which Alex, you know, we inherited from him. That area is actually in the park because of Alex, interestingly. Really? Yeah. And I guess if he was running them from Fort Smith, all that makes sense because it's Correct. Due, due east of Fort Smith, basically. Correct. It's actually not that much further from Yellowknife, but you're right. It is, it is, it's cl- it is a bit closer to Smith for sure. Um, but he, yeah, like he looked at one of the, like the park was negotiated for decades, right? Yes. It took a long time. And Alex looked at the, the, one of the, one of the drafts and he was like, wow, you know, the boundary is pretty good, but 
you know, if you just add it around this area, that's you're going to capture something that's like the best part, one of the best parts of the area. So we, he knew someone in Let's Okay. He said something to him. He said something to, to a negotiator. And before we know it, <laughs> that area was actually like the border was amended. So that's a cool. And what, what area, like what, what area was that? That was the Eileen Lake Sled Creek area. Right. Um, and there's a huge Esker complex out there where the trip ends at. It's sort of in this transition area between trees and no trees. Yeah. Forest and tundra. And it's kind uh, of sand, a lot of sand bottom rivers there too, I think. Yeah. It? Clear water, a lot of like very amazing, you know, Esker campsites, great hiking, widely spaced spruce, white spruce trees, yeah. like lark, liking carpeted forests. These campsites almost look like manicured where you could fit. 300 people man amazing um so yeah that's part of his legacy and the neat thing about Thadarinene is it's like you know it's a large protected wilderness area and then north of it is the Thelon game sanctuary yeah which is very old isn't it like it's Canada's first conservation yeah how did that happen well they were they were worried the muskox were gonna be hunted to extinction which was possible there's they figured only a few hundred of them left they kept shooting them all and so the government acted, and they enacted Canada's first and one of the largest conservation areas in Canada, right. the Thelon Game Sanctuary. So there's always been this vision from guys like Alex and David Pelly and Monty Hummel, um, which for some of Alex's good friends. Monty was one of the past presidents of the World Wildlife Foundation, and they sort of all worked together with this vision of like uh, integrated wilderness corridor, really stretching right. to the Arctic Ocean all the way down. Right. So it's neat. It is neat to see that with the IDNNA, a piece of that puzzle coming into place. Yeah. Um, but we always have to be on our toes for any sort of, you know. I mean, Alex spoke very impassionately about the area when there were hearings for the diamond mines up. Up yeah, in uh, Lac de Grais area, and there's a time when uranium was being explored. Yeah, we flew over those mines on the way back to Yellowknife this summer on, on the trip, and I like I had I knew they were big operations, and like you live in Yellowknife, and everyone talks about the diamond mines, but I didn't realize how big those holes are. Like, holy shit, man! Looking out the window of the plane, and you're like looking at the trucks driving down into the open pit, and they're just like little specks, and there's pit is and there's like what like seven or eight pits it's amazing and and of course like when they dig the pit that they have to like put all the rubble like somewhere so it's all like spread out around on the tundra like those mines are going to leave a big a big scar on the landscape i mean the scar is already there and then of course when the the mines aren't going to be there forever it's like yeah, it's a, it's it's an enormous piece of piece of development. Like I didn't I didn't really appreciate that until I saw them this summer. And yeah, you know, so and so remote. You're like flying and you're you know there's nothing, and then suddenly they're also like so close together too. Suddenly there's just like these enormous in the middle of nowhere, enormous mines and all the infrastructure around them and like you know housing complexes and yeah it's it's crazy it was it was i was shocked to see it when i saw it this summer Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean that's it's true like i guess you're you know if you're up paddling and that's like the the business you're in you kind of have to keep those keep keep tabs on what what's happening in the mineral resource sector i would think yeah i'm definitely like will aggressively go to bat to protect 
this wild place. Um, I also have my own, you know, like questions, ethical, moral questions. Um, I don't have a lot of time to sit around and like think philosophical thoughts because I actually just have to run the business. But like, you know, climate change actually has a big impact everywhere around the planet, yeah. no matter how remote it is. And like, you know, okay, well, how do we get out there? Well, we actually burn like a ton of fuel yes. in these float planes, you yes. know, for something recreational. Um, and, you know, there's vehicles involved. There's, and like, it is actually a lot of fuel. Like, it's drums and drums of yeah. gas. Like, I know how much fuel it is. I see it being pumped and like, yeah. I pay for well, it. Pay for and it. I pay for <laughs> it. So I know exactly how much it is. And it's a lot, you know? And like, yeah, we can have a carbon plan and we can assess our impact with third party and we can buy gold centered offsets and do all those things. But like, you know, if we didn't exist, there would be, I guess, less emissions. Right. You know, so, you know, maybe that would be the best thing to do. I don't know. Like there's, you know, the, um, it's just like the area is, yeah, it's amazing. It's also amazing how, what, where humans can reach. Yes. You know? Yes. It's, it is wild. Like all of these places, which are so remote are like, what a three or four hour bush plane flight from Yellowknife. It's like, yeah. It is amazing. Like the pilot, he wakes up in like, you know, his bed and then by lunchtime is out, you know, like on our trip this summer, it took us like a month to get to where we ended. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were like slogging away day in and day out. And like the pilot, you know, picked us up like two hour, two and a half hour flight from Yellowknife, you know, like the, the flight home was kind of surreal. Yeah. <laughs> so no, for sure. I mean, I guess yeah. if you were, if you, if you're really concerned about, um, fuel burn and you know you're like your carbon footprint that's another reason to go on a guided trip because like for instance this summer and all, all I mean all the trips I've done where I they're private like I've done them myself plane drops us off and then flies back empty uh, mm -hmm. and then when it come it came to pick us up like flew out empty and took us back whereas like I would think you're double stacking like a trip you're you're flying a trip in dropping off paddlers and then picking up paddlers with the same plane who's bringing like a, the group that's just ended back to Yellowknife. Yes. That's pretty standard. Like just, that makes economic sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, at least you're like not wasting <laughs> like a plane flight, you know, like, which is what I always do when I yeah. hi hire my own plane. Um, I mean, it's a small thing, but something. Yeah. You know, I do like to think that overall, you know, the North is a better place because of our operation. Um, yeah. And I think there's value in people seeing it and appreciating it and um, understanding what it is, you know? And yeah. And I, I also think this when I charter a plane, I'm like, I also know how much these things fuel, these things burn. And you're just like, it's astounding, but you know, I think it's worth it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, there's, I guess there's a lot of factors to consider. And, you know, like the one thing I realized after starting the business, I didn't, when I, before I'd begun was that the tourism industry is really dominated by Southern businesses, like many industries in the North. Right. Uh, like all the big fishing lodges, um, hunting operations, yeah, all Southern owned paddling companies are all Southern owned. Right. Vast majority. Uh, so particularly in the outdoor adventure sector, there's 
yeah, these are not companies that are based in the north. You know, in the winter, they're just a closed up lodge somewhere and all the staff are gone. You know, they all, everything flies up. All the food flies up. All the, And so they're not, you know, that well connected to the surrounding communities. And, um, and you know, then I started as uh, a new company on the scene. And, yeah, that's one thing we've really tried to do is, like, um, you know, we are a northern-owned company, and I think that that matters, you know? Like, uh, we don't run guided trips in the Hani, but, you know, we have a... Because Parks Canada won't give us a license. <clears throat> I won't get into that. <laughs> the the oligarchy that's been formed down there by the southern companies to block out anyone else licensing-wise commercially for commercial guided trips. Right, cause, and that's because it's a national park. Yeah, so right. the national park can control the licenses. So... All, only to say that there is a lot of politics and paddling, unfortunately. But, um, you know, we formed a partnership with Litique Dene First Nation to rent canoes. Yeah. You know, if we, okay, we can run guided trips. Let's rent groups and help self-guided trips. And, yeah, that's the first time in the North, to my knowledge, like a paddling company has formed a direct, like, joint venture with uh, local First Nations that they can also benefit from. Right and have you know equipment that they can use for their community trips um and we also run youth trips for them and that's a lot of what we do too actually is like we run trips for youth all across the north we have great relationship with the ILIC fund mm -hmm. who helps take youth from Nunavut communities really high arctic Nunavut communities and give them outdoor experiences we work with Lytic Identity First Nation many other First Nation groups and organizations across the north so yeah, some of our operations are with guests that are quite privileged and amazing guests, you know, prof working professionals all across mm -hmm. the world. And then, well, and then we'll run a trip with you, a bunch of youth from, you know, Kougarouk and Cambridge Bay oh, who cool. may have not left their community ever and, you know, may not come from the, the most supportive household. You know, they, they may not be getting fed that well. And then, and, but we have two weeks with them to cool. have an adventure also together and so they're just very different must be cool seeing the before and after on those trips you know with some of those kids like i, I grew up my whole childhood i was very privileged to like grow up in an outdoor family and mm -hmm. really involved with scouts and doing canoe trips every summer and i've seen it happen where like you have the kid who like have, you know maybe not the best upbringing and is like not spent much time outside and then goes on a one-week canoe trip and like by the end of it is like a different kid you know so it's always that must be rewarding some of those trips they're pretty intense <laughs> <laughs> also intense yeah they're pretty intense <laughs> like the ILIC fund in particular um which you know any of your listeners should definitely check out their website like the ILIC fund particularly goes after that middle cohort of kids and you know they don't have the opportunities they're not always on the hockey team right type of thing but they're also capable of benefiting from this. And so, yeah, they're intense trips. The kids are going through all sorts of things. All sorts of things are coming out. Right. So, but yeah, they're, 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 all, they're all homesick right away. They all just want to go home. And then when they get past that by like... And then it's like the last in and they don't want to go they don't home. Like, of course, of course. Um, but yeah, it's actually really... F well, yeah, any, any, anyone that works with kids know that they're a lot of fun too. Um, yeah. But... Um, yeah, I was actually surprised. Like I, it's a pretty, it's a lot to ask from your staff. Like I said, it takes, it's intense for them. It's like physically, emotionally quite draining. Yeah. Um, but they kept wanting to do it. 
like they get coming back and actually wanting to do more. Like you don't get tips on those trips, obviously. Right. Um, and yeah, I was surprised at how they wanted to kind of keep doing that type of work. Um, so I think it's meaningful yeah. for everybody as well. Yeah. yeah. What's, uh, I guess that's an interesting question is staff. Like is, what are you looking for in staff? Like if I was 18, this would have been a dream job for me, <laughs> like being a canoe guide in the North, like, um, you know, or like even older, like through university, this would have been like the thing. I didn't do that. I was, a, I tree planted all through my like twenties. Um, but like, what are you looking for? Like if people want to be a canoe guide for Jack Pine paddle, like what do they do? Like what, 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 what type of people are you looking for to, when you're hiring? Well, there's a lot of people that want to work. <laughs> yes, I would think. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I never, like, I don't really think about it, that how unique we are. But like you said, like, we're super remote expedition base. And a lot of paddling companies are, like, day tours. Right. Or rentals, you know? I just did it this way because this is what I love doing. And this is that's what I want to do in the business. But, yeah, for a lot of people, that's we're all expedition paddlers. We all want to trip, you know? So... There's a lot. I get a lot of emails um, and there's a lot of younger folks out of like outdoor adventure programs. Right. So, yeah, like our staff, we have a mix, you know, a lot, some of our staff are younger. We actually have quite a few older, mature guides as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we look, you know, like the certifications are one thing, like, you know, paddling service, whitewater rescue, wilderness, first responder certs and all that. Um, work experience is another, but, um, yeah, it just comes down really to people like you are out there with a group of 12 people. Like this loops back to what we talked about with how interpersonal trips can be and right. managing and you're responsible for their safety and you're responsible for their safety. But you're also responsible so that they enjoy this experience, something that Maybe, you know, some of our guests have saved up for many years and mm -hmm. planned for many years. This is a real trip of a lifetime. Yeah. And so just dealing with like a group, keeping a group of, you know, 10 people on the same page um, and being able to lead and make decisions. Yeah. Good decisions for the group, for the comfort of the group, the safety of the group and managing and working with people and having a good team that really ha you know like our our team has to depend on each other we work very closely together i really want to make sure that our team is a solid team that has a ton of fun together and works well together when you add someone to that mix you want to make sure that you're adding someone that um is going to keep the good thing that you have going so yeah yeah do you do like a team a team trip each year before you get into the into the guided you know trips with paying guests yeah, we, we do training, like preseason training, uh, orientation, refresh our skills. And then uh, often at the end of the year, too, we'll, we'll do like a staff trip, which yeah. is pretty fun. Fun, sounds fun. Um, but yeah, it's nice. I'll say this. It's nice to be able to select from the best. Like, it's nice. You know, there's all this talk about labor shortages. And I know some businesses are really hurting and it's super stressful. Yeah. Say staff these days. You know, I haven't had that problem. Yeah. Um, I'm telling you, man, if I was like 19 or 20, I would have been the guy emailing well, you. <laughs> it's never too late, Kyle. I mean, I know you have a good thing going on your own career. But there you go. We're always looking for. <laughs> hey, maybe. Yeah. No, I'd say if someone like is interested in like, you know, 
pursuing this as a career, they definitely, you know, fire me an email. I'm happy to, yeah. to chat more. Yeah. Cool. Um, have you ever had any serious situations where like becomes a, you know, a survival situation? No, we haven't. No, no, we haven't. That's good. No. Like, you know, you hear stories about, you know, bear attacks and, you know, who, who knows what could happen? Broken leg or, you know, whatever. But no, thankfully, no. Yeah. I would think if you do this business long enough, your time will come. Yeah. And that's something that I have spent some time thinking about, you know, like we have all these systems in place. Like sure. We yeah. have doctors on our own private doctors where we can call through the sat phone. We have obviously satellite comms and yeah. all the safety plans and procedures in place and the staff that are trained and experienced to deal with these situations. But like, you know, it's a high risk environment and I'm ultimately responsible. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of stress in a way because, because of the responsibility yeah. that you take seriously. And, you know, yeah, we've had a lot of things go wrong and like, yeah, we figured it out, but it's definitely taken its toll on me as the person in charge. But like, I'm like, wow, well, things always could be worse. Like, I mean, it's possible that we, there is a very serious situation. Right. Um, you know, and, and what that would be like. So yeah, that's part of like, I guess, you know, growing a business is dealing with your own yourself and dealing with those type of challenges. Yeah. And figuring out a way through because yeah it's it's not it's not everyone's cup of tea there's a lot of jobs in your life that are much less <laughs> stressful no no doubt Maybe. but it but it's i would also think rewarding like running your own business is always you know more fulfilling than working for somebody else so now you get it you know it's it's also always more stressful than when you're working for yourself because you know you got everything to worry about <laughs> not just one thing so. yeah it's it's been an adventure of its own running the business yeah it's definitely been an adventure and how long you've been at it now like seven six seven years something like that last year was our seventh year and when i started i really had no idea or you, plan you that started with like one or two boats and uh like three the, boats probably yeah yeah <laughs> like the growth I mean, I don't, you know, your operation better than I do, but I have a sense that, you know, you're, you're running a big, you got a big thing going. You got like a big fleet of boats in the boat yard over there. And, you know, you go on your website and there's like, you're running trips all over the territory and lots of them. Like the, the growth has been from my perspective, astounding in those six or seven years. So like, you're obviously doing something right. It's, it's cool. Like it's, it's cool to see like you're, you're, you're like a young guy and, you're making, older than I love. You're making, but you're making it happen. It's cool, you know. It has been. It has been the adventure of my life. Like I started it out as a side hustle yeah. after I lost a territorial election in 2015. In my, you know, I was trying to be a politician for eight years. Got a master's. Got, was on city council. Lost election by 14 votes for MLA. So that dream kind of, you know, you don't get everything you want in your life, right? So then it's just like, okay, well, well, I guess out of that. Out of that, you know, I'll start a side hustle running paddling courses because uh, I like paddling. Yeah. And then, you know, seven years later, you know, here we are. But there's been a lot of support from, like, government, I'll say that. Like, I didn't yeah. know going in but that this was on the table. But um, 
and it's not like they just hand out the grants. Like they're actually, it's actually quite competitive. Yeah. It's a lot of work and you, you miss, you miss as many as you get, but there's been, yeah, the government has really helped, especially us as a Northern owned business. Yeah. Get going. Cause it's those first, it's that like incubation period in a business Yeah, where you can easily kind of lose and your way. And man, COVID must've been hard. Yeah, well, that was the thing. And then there's there's always there's always problems to solve. There's always things going wrong. Then there's COVID, you know, and like our border was shut for as long as anywhere in Canada. Like they really, the whole strategy in the Northwest Territories was to like seal the border and not let anybody in. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that like our border was closed for two years. We had really strict restrictions, and when that happened, I was like, well, damn. I'm like, I'm doomed, right? Like I'm totally done. Um, but. It's interesting, like, there's always a way to solve every problem. Like, that's really, you know, these youth trips I was talking about? Yeah. That's really when we, like, started, we're like, okay, we're a northern business. People know us. Everyone's, like, trapped here. Um, let's reach out and see, you know, who we can work with. Right. And so that's, you know, we carry carry a lot of that forward. Um, a lot of the companies that were not from here, they didn't have that opportunity. Like, right. They physically actually like it was hard for them even to get in. Yes. But they didn't have those relationships with northern organizations in the community like, like we did. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we we actually continued to grow during the pandemic and 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 operate. Yeah. Good for you. Um, yeah. And then last year was like a bit much. Like it was really busy. Yeah. Because the border was closed for two summers so pent-up demand and yeah so 2022 we actually ran all of our trips from 2021 and 2020 and are you out guiding like are you in addition to running the business guiding trips or do you are you based in town now and just just administering i'll no i need to be out on trip for some of the summer that's why i started the business right of course this is what happens you know people start they get into something because they love it, and then they get so busy they can no longer do what like initially got them into it. So no, good yeah. for you, good for you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we had 15 guides last summer, so it was quite busy, and we had people to run other trips. But no, I, I definitely, yeah, I gotta be, I gotta go on a trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. I mean, yeah, of course, like that's the best part about living in Yellowknife is going on a canoe trip every July. Yeah. So uh, it would be a shame. <laughs> If you owned a canoe guiding company and didn't get and to, then didn't get to go canoeing, never got to go canoeing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That will never happen. Okay, good. I'll never. Yeah, I'll I'll never I'll never give that up. Hopefully, where where are most of your clients from? Like Canada, the U.S., all over the world. Uh, and I, I don't mean like the when you take a school group or whatever. I mean people yeah. who people who are um, not from the territory. Like where where are they coming from? Places where people paddle. Yeah. So you think of like the countries where people paddle, well, Canada and the U.S. And I like the Germans and the Dutch, really. I feel like those guys are always like, into like they, remote Canada. Like, yeah, in the United Kingdom, there's like some sea kayaking. And definitely in your Western Europe, there are some, there is paddling going on. But it's not like in Canada or Yellowknife where like you drive around like how many vehicles have canoes <laughs> on the, their roof. In the summer, like every fourth summer. one. Like every fourth one or something. <laughs> yeah. You don't just walk around and see canoes in the backyard in a German small town, you know? No. So it's no. not as common. So yeah, some of our clients are from there, but I'm, I'm like, like maybe 10%. Okay. So it's really Canadians and Americans are people that paddle because 
you know, our, like, let's, okay, a trip on the Thelon, it's like 12 day trip. It's quite a big deal. You know, it's a big investment. Yeah. You're not just going to decide to do that usually uh, off the cuff if you like haven't canoed before. Um, so true. A lot of people like they love paddling. They they have some paddling experience, um, but you know they want to go to the north or they're a bit older or they want to like share the trip with someone like one of their family members, and they want some help from a guide. Um, so yeah. But there are, you know, we also do like uh, courses and shorter trips for uh, total novices, beginners. Like yeah, people. I've had a number of friends take your yeah take your Tartan Rapids course. Yeah, and that's like really fun, actually, and way more local. Yeah. Uh, but it, you know, we've also had some clients that have like, like we had a client that originally signed up with Alex, who ended up with us, and she was like a physician in Seattle. She came home from a tough day of work and like flipped open the New Yorker and was just in a bad mood. And like Alex would run these little ads in the New Yorker that were like one inch by two inches, and they cost like so much money. Just like canoe wilderness canoe trips, experience guide, call, something something. Call this number. Call this number. <laughs> so she's like, you know what? I'm doing it. But and like she had no background, so she had to like learn how to paddle from the ground up to go on this super remote trip and ended out there with us. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of a neat story. So there's definitely people from, uh, all over, but, um, yeah, you know, and we've had people as old as like 85. Uh, I got at a trip on the Thelon with Frank, who's American. He was a marathon canoeist, 85. And like, he was in my bow and like, he was, you know, he really led the mantra. Like, your age is just a number. Yeah. Cause he would, I would have to tell him to slow down and then he wouldn't. And then I had to tell him to stop because <laughs> we were like disappearing <laughs> over the horizon. I was like, Frank, like I'm the guide, like I'm the lead canoe. Like we need to like let the other canoes catch up. We can't just like go like, but he was just a marathon canoeing. So that was just drilled into him to go hard all the Man, time. I can only but, hope. Um, but yeah, all sorts of characters and yeah. Cool. And our, um, do you have any like new routes coming up this year or, uh, any new rivers you're doing 2023? Uh, or where, I guess, where are you running trips 2023? Yeah. So like, we're, you know, we're, we're looking forward to running, uh, some keel trips, some Horton trips, uh, the Lawn river and some of its tributaries. Yeah. That, yeah. What are, I'm kind of, is it the snake is one? So the, the, the Thelon, uh, has the Clark and the elk. The elk is what I was thinking of, not the snake. Yeah, I've heard the elk is awesome. The elk is amazing. Yeah. Actually, Alex asked for his ashes to go on the elk. Really? It's cool. horribly misnamed the river. There's no elk. There's no, like... like the <laughs> nearest elk, elk habitat's like 200 kilometers south. <laughs> right. They saw caribou. Right. And, you know, you can call it the elk. And call the elk. There's, like, a lot of that going to the north, you know, misnamed things. Yeah, I'm like... And nobody really knows about it. Yeah, no one, I'd, I'd never, it was um, one of your guides who told me about it when we were picking up the canoe. I'd never heard about it. There are campsites on the elk, Kyle, that are some of the most spectacular sites you'll ever see. Like, you can just saunter around your site, and it's, like I said, you know that manicured kind of, yeah, like, it's like, wow, did some, like gardens, like tundra, yes. arctic gardens. Yeah. Um. There's a reason why Alex chose the elk 
for his ashes to go to. But he also loved the Clark, which is almost like a mountain river, and it's really uh, it's really small and intimate, and it, there's some class two, class one rapids, but it's pretty chill, and it flows into the Thelon, right in the Thelon Canyon. Cool. And so you kind of do the Clark, and then you do the Thelon, so it's two trips in one. But Alex was very secretive about his trips. Like, he he wouldn't he would like swear people to secrecy or even the people his paying customers yeah no especially his paying customers really like yeah and he was serious about it like if you snitched and a couple people did like there is no greater infraction Insult to him yeah you didn't want to be that person like he it was just his personality like he grew up in brampton and he would like they would drive all out of town and they would like hide their pickup truck off the road and then cover it up with like leaves and stuff, him and his father. And then they go like trout fishing in the brook. Yeah, that, you know? that's the fishing, uh, that's the fishing mentality. That's how he, yeah. you know, like, as, you know, grew up, you know, like, uh, um, that was his practices in the outdoors. So he describes it in his book, like, that it's, you know, he loves the area so much. It's like, you know, hey, you love your girlfriend. Do you want to share her with everybody? Right, <laughs> you know, right. like, you love something so much, you want it for yourself. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he was very, very uh, secretive like that. You know, my, that's, I guess, one area where we differ. Right. Um, um, is I, like... Alex would avoid people like the plague. Like if he, if like he didn't come across many people because he's where he is operating. And it's the same thing for us. But if he saw someone out there, he, you know, they would like take the longest detour around the lake. I, I wouldn't have Alex on the Canadian Kitchen podcast. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, it would be a pretty cryptic <laughs> interview. But I, yeah, I mean, I'm in the north. Is my home, and I want to share it with people. So if you know, if, if I'm on a site, and we we usually like don't see anyone on any of our trips for the little trip. But if someone were to come up. I would invite them to camp there, you know, and yeah. I, you know, that's just how, how I do things in the North. Yeah. But yeah, how often are you coming across just private recreational paddlers? Unlike the other outfitters that are on like the Nahani and these busier rivers, we are often like leapfrogging groups. Like, you know, we just don't like our, our routes are yeah. like, there. Like nobody knows of them really. Right. Like, you know, the Thelon's probably the most popular one. Yeah, and even so, that's so far it's, out. And it sees, what, like a couple dozen people a year? Maybe, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, the Hanny will get 2,000. The Thelon will maybe get, like, yeah, I don't know, 50, you know, maybe 100. No, well, probably pro- probably low hundreds because yeah. groups would be, like, 12, you know, That's right. But, yeah, we, you know, the, the Clark, the Elk, you know, the Tolston, you know, the, our thigh identity in trip, like, highly unlikely you'd run anyone in a 12-day trip the horton like it's they're just they're just too remote yeah yeah it's it's true like we went 31 days didn't see anybody i mean we were trying that was no one else oh, so you didn't trying. see yeah you didn't see anybody. that's that's a I'm, that's a misstatement we went into almer lake sure. lodge um mid-trip when we phoned you uh, and there were people there. The Kevin and his wife were there who own it. Nice. So we saw them, but we didn't like see. Uh, we didn't see anyone like out on the land for yeah. the whole duration of the trip. And like that was our probably our busiest summer in the history. Right. And we were in we were on the, we were in the same area. You you I mean not the same rivers, but like we were out we were out in the same area. Yeah. And we yeah. it's crazy. No no one. And like for me and you. It is like notable, but you know, you live here in Yellowknife, you're, you know, we're accustomed to wilderness. Yeah. 
it's neat when you get someone from like the United Kingdom or you know bigger cities and yeah or even we were were talking before we went on air you were just in Nova Scotia paddling the Medway like even in the Nova Scotia River like you can maybe go with two three kilometer stretch without there being like some development on the river but then you'll like come around a corner and there's like a house or you know a farm or a dam or something so you just get accustomed to like uh there always being stuff you know or like going under a bridge like you you know Mm -hmm. you paddle paddle down the medway there's like a bridge every like four or five kilometers yeah here it's like you literally can go for weeks and the, the closest thing you'll get to civilization is seeing aircraft <laughs> exactly <laughs> like oh there's people up there <laughs> uh but like no one on the ground you know and maybe you've come across a fuel drum or something but that's yeah. it it's like yeah it's amazing it's amazing how far out you are but like the other feeling that's also amazing is you just kind of get into the rhythm of paddling and it doesn't feel like it doesn't it's not intimidating or scary it's just like you're in the rhythm of like everyday paddling life but then it'll dawn and you'll be like, oh, yeah, like, <laughs> we're like 500 kilometers from Yellowknife. And like Yellowknife's a small place, you know. So I, I don't know. That's why I love the North. Like I, that's part of the reason we came here is like to go on all these epic canoe trips where like you can go for a month and not see anyone. Mm-hmm. You can't do like you can't do that in Atlantic Canada or, you know, you can if you live in Ontario, you got to like go up to like northern Ontario to do something like that. Like it, it, you can't do it where most people live in southern Canada, you know. So it's the best part about being in the Northwest Territories, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, it's pretty cool to still have these vast places left on yeah. the planet where there is no road or pipeline or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, um, we, on the trip this summer, we, like, paddled by the winter, like, the ice road like the, at the portage. And it was, we were just like, oh, yeah, like... <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's like in the winter like people drive here uh and like um that's where all the care actually we saw all the caribou you know people a lot of talk about how like these winter roads affect caribou populations mm-hmm. and like they're contentious here um all the caribou we saw were like right at the contoido ice road like mm-hmm. right where the road they were on the road they were like walking on the road and that's right where we saw them so mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if that you know means anything to any science at all but um, it was cool. That was like a highlight of the trip for us is we must have seen like, at first we were just like, we were just in the boat and they were like, there was like some on the shore, like on a hillside and like, there's maybe like 20 and we're like, oh yeah, like 20 caribou. We were stoked. We like got out, got the binoculars out and we were looking at them. And then I just like looked at like the next hill, like off in the distance and you're, and you're talking about how the barrens are like, like there's all these, it's really neat, like all these rolling hills. And then like the far hillside had like 50 and then I like, glance to like the next hillside and there's like 50 more and then we just kind of like dawned on us like oh yeah there's like hundreds if not like Mm. maybe not thousands of them but they were just like and they were like they just like the ones we initially saw like moved off and new ones moved in Mm -hmm. we just sat there for the morning and like watched caribou cruise by it was so cool i'd never seen caribou and and, i'd seen like the odd straggler around yellowknife you know like driving down to Bechico or something mm-hmm. but I'd never seen like her, the herd you mm-hmm. know so man it was cool yeah you're, you're pretty lucky you know um there used to be caribou around Yellowknife even like yeah. when I grew up and I was a kid yeah people would go hunt them when the herd would come close to town like they would come right you know in Yellowknife Bay like, yeah out on Tibet Lake um 
you know, Etten Island on the East Arm, that's Caribou Island, you know? Yeah. But, like you said, pretty rare to see an odd scraggler here today. Totally. And, I think in my four years here, I've seen one or two. And even what you saw, you know, hundreds, like what Alex saw back in the, you know, his time, like hundreds of thousands. Yeah. Like it would take days for a herd to move through. Yeah. You know, the sounds they would make, the, like, you know, it is actually quite stunning that you know we could take herds like the beverly herd from 200 to 400,000 caribou and you know it's down to like a few thousand now or something if any yeah for that particular herd yeah. but all the herds have declined you know but but you know it is cyclical um there's also a lot of like positive stories like the muskox populations we saw a ton of muskox yeah they're coming back they are coming back in a fierce way and so the thelon game sanctuary really did its job yeah now they're moving out of it into you know all into thai Nene in the eastern yeah, they're Lake. pretty far south now i've heard yeah what a prehistoric looking animal yes like, man we uh our first pike sportage took us three three days there's a whole episode on this podcast about pike sportage because i interviewed the morton ashfeld and bob henderson who wrote a book about the portage so if anyone wants to know more about pike sportage go listen to i forget it's episode 10 um anyway it took us three days and the first night which was like we were really early in the trip and we hadn't really seen any wildlife at that point we like woke up and we all had like the you know like early trip anxiety like we just wanted to get going and we could just hear like the hooves like clanking on the granite because it was just like a you know you know how it is around here like big kind of granite hilltops and i'd seen i was the only one on the trip who'd seen muskox before because i saw them um i paddled the mackenzie a few years ago i saw them a bunch on the mackenzie um but like the th my brother and no one alex had never seen a caribou and this thing just like cruised through camp and just like you know like looked at us and it's just like a, the big horns coming off its head. And like the guy, those guys, they were just like losing it. They're like, this is crazy. And it was really close. Like, I don't know, like 70, 80 feet from us. And like, we, we heard it before we saw it. And then he just like kind of comes out from behind some alders. And it was cool. And then we, we went on to see like on that month, we, oh geez, we must've seen 50 or 60. So I was impressed. Like how, I expected maybe we'd see like, we'd be lucky to see like one or two, you know, mm -hmm. we saw a ton of them. So, yeah, and then we when we ran into um, ran into some people who, like, are wildlife biologist-type people after the trip, and they said the same thing, like, the population's really, really returning. Yeah, they are, and, you know, we were on the Clark in 2019, um, and we hadn't seen much wildlife up to this point three days in the trip. I was getting kind of stressed as the guide. Yeah. And this is the first year we took over from Alex. It was also my first time down the Clark, and... Uh, I remember waking up at like four, uh, you know, 20, let's say in the morning, the sun is just coming up. It was June. And you, you just hear like, <laughs> and you're like, okay, great. Well, there's definitely a barrenland grizzly right outside my tent. So, and I'm the guide. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. like, I better deal with this, you know? So like out of the tent, spring out with a can of bear spray in boxers and a t-shirt and then, you know, you just, like, you go from, like, one second to, like, basically being ready to face off with a grizzly yeah. to realizing that's not a grizzly. Like, that's a muskox that's growling. Like, they growl. The I, guttural, deep grunts they make. Yeah. 
they're really intimidating. Yeah. Uh, and an entire herd forded the Clark River right in front of us. Really? Yeah. That's like cool. Four thirty in the morning, so we ran over all the tents to wake everyone up, and then like like they ran through camp, you know. Um, I had a similar experience where I thought a muskox was a, a bear. Exactly the same thing. Um, on this Mackenzie trip, I did with my wife, which I will never paddle the Mackenzie again. Terrible <laughs> river to paddle. Um, but we were just north, south of Fort Good Hope, and we were camped on like this mucky. There's a problem with the Mackenzie. It's like the camping's terrible. It's like mucky sand. Not even a sandbar would be a generous like <laughs> description. It's like a muck mud bar. It's like this uneven mud bar we were camping on, and we could like my wife like woke me and she could like hear the rustling up on the, on the top of the bank. And we were down at like the bottom of the, you know, Mackenzie has like 20 foot high banks. We were down at the bottom and it was like up in the forest at the top. It was just like rustling. And I was like, Oh, it's a bear. Like, so, you know, you yell at it like, Hey bear, like get out of here. And like, it doesn't like, doesn't fuck off. And I'm like, Hey bear, like get out of here. And then I can just see like the black, like, brownish fur and I was like oh fuck like there it is so I like chambered around in the shotgun and it like I was still yelling at it and it didn't move and I was like oh this bear is like not intimidated by us at all so I like fired a warning shot and then just a muskox like sticks its head out through the alders and we just like locked eyes and looked at each other for for a few minutes so yeah similar thing I was like sure it was a bear but he didn't seem phased at all man he just like you know just didn't wasn't bothered by me even though i just discharged like a shot shot over his head they can definitely be a bit sketchy sometimes totally my uh, my cousin is lives in whitehorse and he was on working on herschel island and he had one charge him mm-hmm. and he like got in behind uh like a building or like a like a I don't know what it was. It was like some structure, like an old, maybe like a fuel drum or something. And then they just played the game where like he like walked around the, whatever this thing was with his bear spray, like ready to, in his hand, ready to discharge the thing. And it would like then, you know, try to line up the charge and he would like get to the other side of this thing. And they played that game for like 40 or 50 minutes before it finally fucked off. So like, yeah, you gotta be careful. Yeah. They'll, they'll charge and not all charges are bluff. No. Especially in the fall when the males get really, like, hormoned in up. In the rut, yeah. Yeah, and they just become these, like, crazed, angry, sexed up, <laughs> yeah. large, yeah. you know, things with really sharp horns. And, uh, yeah, um, yeah, they're just so cranky and all just grunt. But they're cool because you can, you can observe them, you know? Yeah. And, like, you can actually get up to them. It's great great take photos. Man. You just have to like know when. Yes. To say no. Yes. Yeah. yeah then the, like some of the best sightings we had on this trip were from the boat. Yeah. Which is the best because like, you know, can't charge you swimming. <laughs> yeah, and that's the nice thing about being in a in a group of like ten people because you know you have there's I mean also for bears. Yes. You know. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. I mean, there are wild places where these prehistoric creatures still roam and are thriving. You know, yes. and it's, yeah, it's just like, I'm always there in the summer and I, I, you know, it's like, what is it like in the winter? I heard that muskox are the only land animal, they're the only animal to like not change its behavior in a blizzard. Yeah. They like, kind of seem pretty stoic. Eh? They just kind of stand there. They'll just continue to like graze <laughs> through the snow and do their thing in like the middle of like a 90 kilometer Arctic blizzard right. where every other animal 
living thing is like seeking shelter somewhere. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'd be neat to see these places in a, in a have, winter. Have you thought of expanding the, like there's probably not as much appetite for a winter adventure, but maybe some, like have you thought of expanding the, the offering? Like there's probably my second most common question um, that, you know, from like, okay, well, what do you do all the winter? And then, well, would you, you know, would you want to expand it through the winter? And hard no. Like, there's very, very little market, like you said. Yeah. I don't know what I would do. Like, for self-propelled. Like, I could drive a van around to take Aurora tourists to look at Aurora. In that case, I'm, like, a driver. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, like, wall tent and ski, okay. skiing and skiing and wall tenting yeah i mean it's cool there's definitely like winter survival stuff going on in some parts of canada but yeah the market's a lot even more niche than what my market is yeah it's niche already and you know taking care of people in the winter would be really hard yeah especially up here it's so cold and i kind of work all winter like anyway just getting ready for the summer (laughs) and you know uh would just yeah uh, Fair enough. Totally losing my mind. <laughs> it's like I just want to find time to go skiing by myself, <laughs> so I can like not have a heart attack or a mental breakdown. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I uh, I do love the winter. Actually, I love like um, being outside around Yellowknife. I don't know if you've had a chance. You, yeah, yeah sure. I'm the same. I'm, I'm, I'm like going back and forth between Nova Scotia and here for four years and. Mm-hmm. I'd always tell people I prefer winter here, and they think I'm. They'd like look at you and think you're crazy, but it's true. Winter's way better. Like we, it's winter. the reason is because it's winter. Like if you, you know, I don't know if you spend any winter in Nova Scotia, but it's like, it's like, there's, it snows, but then it melts, and it's like slushy and rainy, and it's just like constantly like eighty kilometer an hour wind, like blowing the rain sideways. It's just awful. Whereas here it's cold, but like you can ski every day. Yeah. You know, and we have a wall tent and a snow machine and you can go like go out on the land and set up your wall tent and you're in the middle of nowhere. You know, it's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, winter's great. Like, and it's cool. Like, obviously, if you're prepared to like canoe and portage, like you can you can get lots of places, but it's time consuming. But with a snow machine and frozen lakes, like suddenly it opens up this whole like part of the territory that you just can't access in the summer. Mm-hmm. without chartering a float plane or having like way more time than I have mm-hmm. <laughs> to go explore. So mm-hmm. um, it's been fun, like just ripping around, like not even that far from Yellowknife, but like, you know, within an hour or two snowmobile ride and just exploring places. And then, yeah, with a wall tent, you can set it up, spend the night and you know, you're like not going to be like have a warm sleep, but like <laughs> you can do it in minus 20, minus 30. It's fine. Yeah. So like, that's been really fun, man. We've been like, it's kind of been the thing for the last few years. Nice. Which is why I ask, like, surely there's a market for that. Like, probably not the same, but, like, I think it's awesome. Like, surely I'm not the only one, you know. Maybe you can start <laughs> as your side hustle <laughs> since you have all the spare time these days with your newborn and yeah. career. Yeah, really. No, no. I got enough things on the go. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe we'll leave it there. I guess before we do, where can where can people go to find you? They can just go to Google and type in Jack Pine Paddle, uh, or they can just go to www.jackpinepaddle.com and then check out all the cool things on our website. And, and you've still got trips for 2023? We definitely have trips for 2023. Uh, we have all sorts of guided trips across the northern wilderness. We're running a bunch of really exciting courses up here 
we have sh- we have shorter trips, three to five days, you know, family-based trips, people that just getting into paddling. Um, so right up to the full full adventure. Right up to the yeah, as remote and as adventurous as you want or are willing to to go. We're there to help you. So um, there's a lot of information online. Everything's online these days, and then you know, obviously all the contact information is there. And I love chatting with people if they, you know, just want help with their own trip or, um, you know. Yeah, do you, is that a service that you offer, like a bit of consulting? Like I know when I first moved here, I was kind of overwhelmed about like all these trips and like I knew nothing about them. And I would have found that valuable. Like is that a service you offer if someone's, or there's someone, if someone's self, like organizing their own trip but just needs a bit of insight, they can call you? I'm definite, like, it kind of depends what mood I'm in. (laughs) Like, some people will call me and they'll be like, okay, can you basically plan my self-guided trip? I want you to, like, (laughs) they have, like, 20 questions. Uh, I'm like, okay, cool. I'll help you as much as I can. I, 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 uh, yeah, it's kind of this weird thing where, like, I'm not a tourism information center. I'm running a business, but I, I do love paddling and I do love helping people. Sure get ready for their adventure so yeah give me a call and i'll help you as best that i can um but that's one of the more rewarding things too because we teach like i said we do a lot of courses yeah so you know the guided trips are the bulk of our business but i really love teaching people how to paddle and walk, and then like they learn from scratch and then they do trips on their own yeah. they get better they come back maybe take another course like they'll never they'll never they don't want a guided trip and they're, they're not you know, that's not what they're into. Right. But they want to go paddle. And we live in the place where, like, like once you learn how to paddle and get some confidence and be safe, you can go anywhere. Yeah. And the things you can see um, are things you can't see anywhere else. So I'm glad that you've had a chance to, you know, you've had you know, quite a few awesome trips already. Actually, I'm impressed that you've only been here for four summers. We didn't paddle one first summer we were here we didn't do a trip and then we paddled the bolio nice the mackenzie and then this like five river system trip nice. this summer fortunately probably going to be in a bit of a holding pattern here for a year or two but i'm also committed to like get the get the guy out you can just pull it Dwayne. man dwayne has been on the show yeah. uh Dwayne and leanne are like real inspiration for me um yeah like two or by the time the kids like two or three like there's no excuse not going on a canoe trip so i'm and i'm excited to raise like a paddling child so they'll be like this year i think i you know maybe sneak away for a a quick one but not with like a six-month-old child (laughs) um but yeah and you know that's man that's why we're here this you know there's like more more trips than i'll have time to do in my lifetime you know so it's like kind of anxiety inducing (laughs) trying to pick the one pick them all you know well you know it's like what alex said in uh in his book, you know, you could spend a, uh, a lifetime paddling Arctic rivers and it wouldn't be enough. No, you would just want more. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. yeah. Um, well, thanks for coming on, Dan. Um, yeah, go check out Jack Pine paddle everyone. And, uh, yeah, thanks again. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Cool. Thank you.